today on It's Time. And they go to these different things. They go to AA. And one of the things in AA, you have to admit there's a higher power. Now, the problem with AA I have is that the higher power can be a light bulb. That's a real problem because the light bulb's not going to help you. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through the book of Exodus. So turn there in your Bible and follow along with Pastor Mike. And what was really amazing, I remember a Sunday morning, my mom would send my sister and me to church, to Sunday school, but they themselves wouldn't come. And one Sunday uh, after the doctor told her that, they came to church. The minister gave the invitation, accept the Lord. They both accept the Lord that Sunday morning. My dad smoked, drank, did, you know, and just lightning bolt. Whammo, he was a new creature. No more smoking, no more drinking, no more, just... God just did a miracle in his life. My mom, on the other hand, when she accepted the Lord, there wasn't a lightning bolt experience, but there was a gradual change in her life. I remember my mom saying to me, she said, you know, one of the most amazing things when I accepted Christ is I stopped using God in my cuss words. I thought that was pretty weird. In other words, she'd still say some four-letter profanities, but God wasn't in there anymore. But there was growth. And the thing is, there was that growth that happens. Everybody, when they get saved, has oftentimes a different experience. And in fact, if you look at a cursory overview of the disciples of Jesus, you you find uh, Matthew Levi at the receipt of customs. Jesus comes up to him, gives him a four-hour sermon why he needs to follow him. And Matthew goes, well, I'll think about it. Let me tell my... No, nothing. Jesus walks up to him, looks at Matthew Levi and says, follow me. Matthew Levi, I could just see that he didn't care about his 401k. He didn't care about retirement. He just took his garment, laid it down and left. That's Matthew. But we look at the other disciples. We have James and John, sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee. Boy, I'll tell you, you look at them, they were still radical dudes, even serving Jesus. It's weird how God deals with us. But nevertheless, there should be fruit in your life where you see God in his deliverance in in your life moving you. Now, so that's the first thing. There should be fruit in your life. By their fruit, Jesus said, you will know them. We are not to be judges. In other words, I can't say, well, that person's a Christian. That one is, that one ain't, that one is. We're not to do that. Let God be the judge of that. I know there's a lot of super spiritual, self-righteous bosons out there that think they can sit in the place of God and determine whether a person is a Christian or not. Friends, that is not your or my job. Our job is to praise Jesus, encourage the saints, and let God be the judge. But the Bible does say we can be fruit inspectors. Now, number two, you want to be sure the fruit is genuine. I remember 
years ago. I was just thinking about this this past week. But I remember my mom had this guy, he was uh, my uncle. He, he came and he was kind of goofy. And I remember that we had a, a bowl of, of fruit on, on the kitchen table. And it was wax fruit. And I remember one day I went by and there in the, in, in this, in this apple that was wax was teeth marks. He picked it up and bit into it. And I thought that's really weird that somebody wouldn't notice that. But you know what is strange? There is a lot of imitation fruit out there. So we want to be careful of that. Is the fruit in your life genuine? Can you actually, as God is saying to the children of Israel through Moses, remember when I delivered you from Pharaoh? Is the fruit genuine? You want to look at that. That's real. The second thing you want to look, a third thing you want to look at, is the fruit stolen? Well, what? Stolen. That's right. Is the fruit really somebody else's ministry, somebody else's life that that person has taken and somehow laying claim that it's theirs? That's a real problem. This is something you find the um, seven sons of Sceva were doing. They were vagabond extras. They were uh, um, casting demons out of people. Now, they didn't have any power in themselves. And in fact, they said to this one demon-possessed man, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul speaks of. The guy that was demon-possessed responds back in the book of Acts, and he says, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And the Bible says this man jumped on these seven brothers, tore all their clothes off, and the last we find in Scripture, they're running naked. That's kind of a weird story. But the point is, stolen fruit doesn't work. So the first thing, does fruit exist? Number two, and I believe it's really important, is it real? Number three, make sure it's not stolen. And let God be God in your life. So the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in the cloud. That's how God's going to reveal himself. They were to get ready because in three days he was going to manifest himself to them. He warned them again, don't let anybody come near to the mountain. Because again, God is a holy God. And we're not. At least we're not until we come to Christ. Then you become his child. Verse 14, then Moses went down from the mountain to the people, set the people apart, and they washed their clothes. By the way, isn't it weird that they were told to wash their clothes when they got ready to meet God? Does that bring any thoughts to anyone here? Isn't it funny? The Bible says that when we go to heaven, we get a a, a garment, white, and, and we get to wear it. We put away those old things and we get a new garment. Wow, I think about that. We get new clothes when we get to heaven. You're going to be so good looking. You're going to be Gucci. No, actually, you're going to be heavenly. God's got something great for us. And he said to the people, be ready on the third day. Do not come near your wives. In other words, just sanctify yourself. Get prepared to go uh, meet God. 
And it came to pass on the third day, verse 16, in the morning there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that the people who were in the camp trembled. By the way, it's interesting. You find that they were to wash their clothes. God appears to them with the sound of a trumpet. Now, Paul, the apostle, says when the rapture comes, we're going to hear a trumpet blast and we're out of here. I can't wait. But until that happens, that's why we're all still here, to be salt and light. You'll see a lot of parallels here. And it says, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in its fire and the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. This is weird, friends, to hear God's audible voice. Now, um, I've, I've told everybody here, if you're a Christian, you've heard God's voice. People say, oh, if I could just hear God's voice. If you're a Christian, you heard God's voice. When you heard the message of the gospel, that Jesus loved you, died on the cross for you, wants to take you from serving Pharaoh to serving himself, and there was a voice inside your head, inside your heart that said, this is for you, that was God. So you know that you've heard God's voice if you're born again, because otherwise you would have not answered that call. So here he says, God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon the Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them will perish. Also, let the priests who come near the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. It's interesting, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, some of them evidently did this because God says he killed them. I guess maybe the priest thought, well, you know, we're priests and we're above the common people. We don't need to do that. Any what God said. And so God said, don't let them uh, escape this, um, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and sanctify it. And the Lord said to him, Away, get down and come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. Why would he do that? Well, maybe some people out of curiosity going, Whoa, I want to go check this out. Maybe that. Maybe just out of rebellion. Just, just I want to do it. God said, you know, I, that this whole thing about rebellion and the old sin nature, I find it in me all the time. I see, I'll go through a store door, it'll say push, I'll pull. Wet paint, don't touch, got to check it out. Why is that with us? Speed limit, 55, you can go 57, they won't give you a ticket. Sound familiar? What is it about us that when there's a limit, we want to see if we can push the limit? I, I, I don't know what that is. 
But we, that's part of the old sin nature, I guess. So he said, don't do this. Now, you got to remember something. They see the mountain. They see the quakings. They hear the, the trumpets blowing. All this stuff's going on. Do you realize with not even 40 days, when Moses is delayed upon the mountain, he comes down, they're dancing around a gold calf having an orgy. You think about it for a minute. You know, sometimes we see ourselves as being rebellious to God. Here God demonstrates who he is, shows them his, his they could hear his voice, they could see the mountain. They, God did this on purpose so the people would know this wasn't a Moses production. Oh yeah, Moses, you were off somewhere hiding out. No one really knew what you were doing. You come down the mountain, you say you got these rules we're supposed to follow, call the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we don't think so. No, God says, no, I, I'm going to let everybody know who I am. There's going to be a mountain, there's going to be smoke, there's going to be fire, there's going to be all this stuff, and you'll know, everybody's going to know what I want from people. They're going to hear my voice. Okay, pretty impressive. People were scared to death. The trumpets were not coming from the camp. They were coming from the sky. And all this stuff is going on. And not even 40 days later, they're dancing around a golden calf having an orgy. Friends, you look at the rebellious nature, the whole heart of man. No wonder Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. It's not within man to live righteously. If you've had that, you know, I, I've talked to people that say, well, I, I'd be a Christian, but I'm not going to be good enough. I'm afraid I'll fail. Let me tell you, you will. But let me tell you, it's not your will in you that's going to make the difference. It's God coming in you and changing the way you think about sin, strengthen you against sin, because the thing is, sin kills us. Do you realize sin does not do you, me any good? Hey, man, but like, you know, like partying with my friends, you know, like it's really cool. I really like, you know, trying to get liver cancer and wrapping my car around a telephone pole. Man, that's fun. You think about what sin really does to us. It destroys you. It isn't that God's a cosmic killjoy. Well, you little people down there, I don't want you to have any fun at all. So I'm going to make these rules up to make sure you don't. No, that's not what God did. God knows something more about life, more about adverse living than we do. And it doesn't matter how much culture tries to say what God says isn't true, which is happening today in our society as it has in past societies, only for people who believe the lie from society to pay the price. Look at the broken lives that this does. When you look at the whole picture of how people try to get free from addictions and they go to these different things, they go to AA. And one of the things in AA, you have to admit there's a higher power. Now, the problem with AA I have is that the higher power can be a light bulb. That's a real problem because a light bulb is not going to help you. You need divine power from God to get free of addictions. But the problem is society doesn't offer that. Well, you just admit there's a higher power. It can be a light bulb, whatever you want it to be. And we'll get you off of alcohol. Now you're going to become a idiot. You're just going to sit around and play video games all day. Or you'll be some kind of other addictive personality disorder. But you won't be drinking anymore. 
That's the problem with us. We don't know what we want. We don't. You can try your best, but that old sin nature that is never satisfied says, more, more, I got to have more. And God comes along and says, no, what you need is me. Notice verse 24 again. It says, and the Lord said to him, away, get down, come up, that you and Aaron you and Aaron with you, and do not let the priests of the people break through and come up to the Lord, lest he breaks out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. You see, God has you and me as priests in a world. We represent God to the people and the people to God. Now, what does that mean? Well, God, this is where I believe Jesus was saying, pray for your enemy. Yeah, I'll pray for my name. God, kill him. You know, no, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to say, okay, Lord, I realize that if they were not functioning in sin, they could be my best friend. I realize that they weren't functioning in sin. They could be a, they could be a powerful person for your kingdom. That's what being an intercessor does. So we represent God to the people and the people to God. We pray for lost people. We pray for those that God will open their eyes, that God would bind Satan from their eyes, that they would see what Jesus Christ offers them. Now, as all this is set up, the mountains there, full of smoke, shaking, quaking, trumpets blowing from the sky, then we find God spoke all these words saying, And he says, I'm the Lord your God. And then he gives his standard of what righteousness is. Friends, when I look at the Ten Commandments, I realize how far all of us in humanity has fallen. But yet I also realize that God, knowing that, provided Jesus Christ. The law was fulfilled in him. I put on his righteousness. You put on his righteousness. And this allows us to be what we are. It is interesting, if you remember in the Old Testament, for you that study the Bible, that the high priest would wear a linen ephod. They would wear a thing. And it had the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And by the way, those 12 stones, again, to represent God to the people, the people to God. But they would put on this ephod. Why? Because the thing is, just we put on Christ in the same way. We represent God to the people, the people to God. We wear his righteousness. We wear his clothes. It's interesting, the Bible says that Jesus is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle, speaking of their garments. By the way, how do you get spots and wrinkles in your garment? Sloppy eating habits and setting. You set on your garment, you're going to have wrinkles. If you have sloppy eating habits, you're going to have it all over you. I think that's one of the requirements for Italian dishes. You must wear it when you're done. Because I'll tell you that red spaghetti sauce gets all over everything, doesn't it? But that's what God's coming for. A church without spot or wrinkle. So, God, I want to be active. 
And I want to be digesting what you feed me. I don't want to be wearing it all over my face and all over my clothes. Representing God. See, remembering what God's done for you. How he's taken you from serving the devil and brought you into a place where your life is going to mean something forever. An eternal reward. Not a flash in the pan, not a pat on the back, but you're you're determining right now what position you're going to hold forever in eternity. Wow. How valuable is each day then? Being about our daddy's business. So important. Next week, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to see why Jesus was so important in fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law and why he is our Savior. That I see these things, and yeah, we might be able to remember the rich young ruler. That, that story always gets me. <laughs> rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. He had it all. Comes to Jesus, wanting to know about eternal life. Jesus said, sell what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. He went away sad because he was really wealthy. You see, his hope was in what he had. Jesus looks at this guy and he says, there's only one thing you lack. Man, one thing you lack. If Jesus was to look at me and go, about five million things you lack. But looks at the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. So what you have, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. God didn't care about the money. He knew that's what the man's hope was lying in. Any other hope that we have in anything else other than Jesus will never meet the need. It'll let you down. This morning, we have communion. And again, this is why communion is so important because Jesus holds up the cup and he says, this is the cup that was my blood shed for you. New covenant. Why is that important? Because it isn't by the blood of bulls and goats that we're saved. It isn't by our works. It's what Jesus did for us. That blood, that covenant that was shed for us. The body of Christ, the bread, was so we can be healed. Friends, we need to be healed of a lot of things. Do you think about it this morning in your life? And if you're a Christian, you've been coming here even for a while, and there's something that really, really bothers you over and over again from your past, I want you today, as you hold that bread in your hand, I want you to think, God, I want you to heal me of that. I want you to separate me from those things of my past. So I'll be a better priest for you. I'll represent you better in a world that doesn't know you. And I can represent people. I won't be so self-focused. I'll start praying for people that, that are lost. You see, that's what makes the difference. See, and then God opens the doors to do those things in your life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, communion doesn't mean much. It's a ritual. But if you're a Christian, you realize it reminds us that we have a blood covenant with God. He died for our sins and that we can be healed. It's not just a ritual anymore. In fact, Paul, addressing a church in Corinth, chapter 11, he says, when you just look at communion as a, as a ritual, he said, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. You don't apply the medicinal use of it to your body. You need that. This morning, uh, if you never received Christ, we're going to pray right now. We'll have communion, then we'll go eat some food, have a good time. But this morning, I just want, first of all, 
you to recognize is there fruit in my life? If there isn't, you say, well, Lord, I want to sell out to you. I want, I want to really be about your business. And the Bible says that he will change your life. If you need to accept Christ this morning, if you don't want to serve Pharaoh anymore, you don't want to serve Satan anymore, you want your life to mean something today and throughout eternity, you pray this, God will change your life. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I ask you to make me the best I can be for you. And I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. I believe you died on the cross for me. And you rose from the dead to give me life every day. And so now I commit my life into your hands. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I'll love you more and love people that are lost more. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.